You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Go ahead and tell someone the title of our sermon this morning, The Light of the World. The Light of the World. So we are going back to our Gospel of John uh, series, and of course we've been studying this great book written by the Apostle John, and we set out, if you remember, a couple years ago in this study with three specific purposes, to figure or to hear from the Apostle about the sufficiency of Christ as the Savior, the supremacy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ over any sorts, any other sorts of Gospels out there, and also to cultivate a deeper relationship relationship with the Savior, primarily by getting to know who he is, getting to know his character, who, what his nature is, his identity as the Son of God, as we go through the Gospel of John. Now, all of that is from John's own thesis about his, his book in John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's thesis for this entire gospel. And our purpose for studying this work is, is all in there. Now, having said that, I do want to take a little step back a bit this morning. Um, after some sort of reflection this past week as I was studying for God's word and, and for, for this, for this uh, sermon, there's, God really placed it on my heart to to sort of pivot our, our purpose, not, not so much our reason of why we're studying this, but the, the overall outcome of what we want uh, from this study. And really, just even from my own heart, what, what I guess God is calling me to do in your lives as your pastor, not just in this series, but overall. My desire as your pastor, church, is for you to love Jesus more. In everything, in all, the, in all the sermons that I preach, in every ministry that is cultivated in, in and through Plus Life, my desire is for you to love Jesus more. You know, if, if, uh, if by, by some means God says, you know, my, my day, my time here in this world is up, and, and he says it's time to go home, I would rest happy knowing that, that my brothers and sisters in Christ have come to love the Savior more through my ministry here on this earth. And that's what I want to do in this Gospel of John series. I don't want to just feed you information or, or break down in, in, in expository style the, the nuances of the text. I want you to not just hear what John is saying, but also retain his heart. Because out of all the apostles, out of all the apostles and their epistles, and out of all the gospels, John talks about the love of God the most. He was, of course, known as the disciple whom the Savior loved. And in his, in his, in his epistles, he repeats that phrase over and over again, love, love, love. So there's no doubt in my mind that part of the reason why John wants readers or, or to, to read his gospel is the great takeaway of loving the Savior in, in whom he loved, that those who would read this gospel, yes, that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, but also to love him. Yes, that they would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but that they would love him as well. 
and that by loving him, they would have life in his name. I believe that's, that's, that's the purpose of what we want to do and really take away from this gospel to love Jesus more. And, and really, that's the goal and purpose, the vision of our church here at Plus Life, to see lives changed by the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of love. It is the love of Christ that changes people. Paul even talks about in 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died and died for, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It is the love of Christ that changes lives. And it's through a gospel that we hear about the love of the Savior. And again, the purpose of all of this is that at the end of the day, if you can love Jesus more, love Jesus more than your sin, love Jesus more than your work, love Jesus more than your pride, love Jesus more than the possessions you have in this life, love Jesus more than the titles that you've accumulated, then our work here at this church has been satisfied and completed. So again, more than just giving you information, more head knowledge or facts about the gospel of John, I pray that the takeaway from all of this is that you would take a step back and hear the stories of Christ and be like, man, this is the Savior that I love. This is the Savior who, who, who loves me. To love Jesus more. Now, with all of that said, uh, I was a little sentimental this past week, and that's where it was coming from. But nonetheless, uh, with that said, we are getting into the second statement, the second I am statement of Christ in our passage this morning. If you remember a couple of passages back, a couple of chapters back, we heard the first I am statement. I am the bread of life, Jesus declared to a hungry people. But here in verse 12, we hear the second I am statement, these great I am statements that declare the identity and the nature of who Christ is as the Son of God. And here we hear, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, contextually, remember, we're, th this is in the context of what was happening at the Feast of Booths just a couple of chapters, or, or rather, chapter 7 back. Uh, if you remember, if you go back to chapter 7, um, actually ending from verse 52, right before the passage that we looked at last week, we see that, that, that Jesus is in the temple during the Feast of Booths, the last day of the Feast of Booths, and he is declaring to the people first and foremost that he offers the waters of life. Now, just, just a little of a, of a side note, if you recall, we are, we're, we're looking at the first part of chapter 8 as a sort of as a standalone piece. And last week we talked about the woman who was caught in adultery. And the reason why we're looking at that as a standalone piece, because as you can probably see in your Bible, there is a footnote there that the earliest manuscripts did not have that passage, that story in, in, those, in those manuscripts. And so for those reasons, not that it's not inspired, but because of the sort of the sort of the, the, the premise that it, it's, it wasn't the original manuscripts. It has a different writing style in the original Greek. Uh, you can find it in the Gospel of Luke and some other manuscripts. We're treating that piece of Scripture as a standalone piece and not a continuation from John's Gospel in chapter 7, verse 52. The continuation of that is where we left off, or actually our passage today. It's in verse, uh, verse 12. 
With that said, you have to sort of see it as a, you have to see it with a flow from what has already been established with Jesus being at the temple, again, at the great, the Feast of Booths. If you remember the Feast of Booths, it was this harvest festival of the Jews. It was a week-long event where the, where, where the Jews would go out to the fields, build tents to commemorate their time in the wilderness and how God provided for them there. They would bring in the, the first fruits of the harvest and, and all of that. But in the temple where Jesus, where the scene is taking place, the priests would have a whole ritual set aside for that entire week. Part of that ritual was they would gather uh, buckets of water from a specific well, put it in this great golden basin, and then from that, they would do that every day, every day of the week. And then in addition to that, they would light a menorah, if you've ever seen one of those Jewish candles with the many, uh, many uh, candlesticks attached to it. Every day of that week, they would light a candle on that, signifying, again, part of that, the tradition of that Feast of Booths. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the, the week, the great festivities, the priests would take all the water and dump it out as a, as, a, as a drink offering to the Lord, praying for good harvest, praying for good rainfall for the next year. But at the same time, the priests of the temple would themselves grab the, the menorah and have their own candles. They have a, it's kind of like a candlelight service for them. And they'd make this entire parade, this whole entire procession, imitating the pillar of fire that they followed in the wilderness during, again, them celebrating the Feast of Booths, and that's what they were uh, looking back to the time in the wilderness. So they would have this whole light ritual to commemorate that, that whole experience in the wilderness, and that is the backdrop, the context in which Jesus is declaring that he is the light of the world. He's literally invoking the parallels as the, 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 the temple priests are marching around the, the temple uh, premise with these lights, these torches, these candles. And as they're doing it, the, the masses and the crowds are watching this procession. And here is Jesus in the temple declaring, stop, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And I believe with, that, with, with what the Jews were commemorating, the, the, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, that is the key to us understanding what really, what, what is this kind of light that Jesus is declaring himself to be as he steps into the world? What kind of light is Jesus to the world? You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, my family and I, we had the great opportunity to uh, take a little bit of a break at, the, at Great Wolf Lodge, right? And we were we were, all, we were all sharing in this one room together, and at night, it was just, it was just complete uh, pitch black. And my son, Judah, he, he's starting to develop this sort of fear of the dark. And, and so we turn on this lamp in the corner, and it wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for him. So we turn on this other lamp in the corner. And goes, no, no, not that light, not that light. And we had to turn on this, this massive light beside our bed just so that he could sleep at night because he was afraid of the dark. He was very specific about the kind of light he wanted. Not this yellow light. It had to be the white light or whatever it was, right? I didn't know this guy was a home designer, right? My son. Anyways. But similarly, Jesus was not an ordinary light coming into this world. He was a very specific light. And he's specifically bringing something into the world that no other human leader, no other revolutionary, no other teacher could bring. 
He was bringing the light of, uh, he was bringing his light into the world. And our study this morning, our purpose for this morning is discovering what kind of light Jesus was bringing to this world. First and foremost, let's just get straight into it. Jesus was bringing a, a fulfillment of presence, a fulfillment of presence. If you recall the pillar of fire, that story in the Old Testament, you can find that in Exodus chapter 13 and 14 and throughout the journey of the Israelites in the wilderness. But it says this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And they might, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from, be, from before the, from, sorry, from before the people. So again, in the time of the wilderness, the people of Israel was led by God himself, right, as we, as we just read it, in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The pillar of fire and cloud was a symbol of the presence of God. It was a symbol of the presence of God. Even later on in, in the wilderness journey, when they finally established the tabernacle, they knew that when Moses went into the tent and the pillar of cloud came into the tent, that, that Moses was meeting face to face with God. That he was now in the presence of God. In fact, we even read this in Numbers chapter 14, verse 14. It says this, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. When they saw this great cloud and they saw this pillar of fire in the Old Testament, they knew that God was present with them. That they were seeing God even face to face. Jews saw the light from the pillar of fire as a sign of God's presence with them. Now, fast forward through the wilderness. They get into the promised land, and the pillar of fire and the, and, and, and the pillar of cloud is no more. It's gone. Israel is now in the promised land. They, 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 there's a whole history there where they strayed, and they had some good kings and mostly bad kings. And then afterwards, the people were sent into exile taken captive by Babylon and other nations around them. And this was a judgment of God on the people for their idolatry and their disobedience towards him. And there was this great sense that God's presence had been removed from his people. That his presence had been removed from, from the temple, the house of God. But all hope was not lost because then the prophets, start, the prophets started started prophesying this great messianic hope that God's presence would return to his people. In Isaiah, it talks about how the sun shall be no more and how God's own light will fill the earth once more, establishing a covenant, a light that would, that would not just be for Israel, but for all the nations. In Malachi, the prophet talks about how there is a day coming the day, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble and the sun, capital S, of righteousness will bring healing in his wings. 
And so there's a connection there again with, with the Lord returning, returning with his light to his people, bringing back his presence to a fallen nation. And in Zechariah chapter 14, this is where we get a lot of the context of the, the Feast of Booths as well. It says this, in the latter part of uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer and in winter. Now remember, Jesus has already declared the offering of, of living waters a couple of chapters back in chapter 7 of our passage, or of, of, of the Gospel of John. Right? Remember, he's, he's declaring the, uh, the, great, uh, the, the great day of this Feast of Booths that whoever comes, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he's already fulfilling, fulfilling that part of that passage. But now in, in, in chapter 8 of our passage, Jesus is now connecting the dots. It's not just the living waters. I am that light. I am that light. I am the fulfillment of promise of God's presence returning to his people. I am that light that would drive darkness away. I am that light where, where even the, the light of the sun and the moon pale in comparison. Jesus is that fulfillment of God's presence, of God's light returning to his people. Remember, and, and this is, John, the apostle, has already referred to this right from the beginning of his gospel. If you recall John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus is that true light, the light of God. Hebrews talks about how he is the radiance of the glory, the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The one who upholds the universe with the words of his power. Again, he is the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment of God's presence returning to his people. Not just Israel, but everybody and all the nations of the world. Jesus is the answer to the, the age-old question of, are we alone in this universe? Or, or has God abandoned us? Or is God with us? Is God with me? Jesus is the answer to the question of, is God present in my life? Jesus is God's declaration to, to the believer that you're never alone. I am with you now and forever. You are never forsaken. Though the world be dark, Christ shines brighter. Jesus is the light of the world, declaring that I, I have walked among you. I was one of you, tempted and tried, have experienced your hardships, your temptations. Remember in chapter 7, when, when the people were questioning about Jesus' authority as a Messiah, or his, his, his identity as a Messiah, rather, and, and they were saying, but, but we know where he's from. We grew up with him. We know his brothers. 
The Messiah, he comes out suddenly. We don't, that's not how is he's supposed to arrive. But Jesus is saying, you know me. I have, I have gone through it with you. I have experienced the trials with you. That is him declaring that he was present, that he is present even in our day-to-day affairs, that he has gone through it. I have lived among you. I know your struggles. And brothers and sisters, that is the word for us this morning too. Regardless of what trials you are going through, whatever storms you're experiencing in life, whatever questions you might have even about your faith, Understand that Jesus is there with you. He is present. He is a light that is very present, an ever-present help in our times of trouble. Jesus is the answer to the, the false claims that God is distant or that he doesn't care. That he's some unmoved mover. Brothers and sisters, he is very present in your life. He is with you even today, regardless of what you are going through. Jesus as the light of the world is the fulfillment of presence. Secondly, Jesus as the light of the world is also a foreshadow of protection. A shadow, a foreshadow of protection. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 19, it says, this is still the story of, of Israel being led in the wilderness and right before the, the Red Sea is parted and the Pharaoh's armies are after them. It says, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then in verse 24, it says, And in the morning watch, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. So here was this great scene, the masses of, of people, the, the, the Israelite people who, has, who had exodus or who had left, the, the, who had left Egypt. They were now at the, the trenches of the Red Sea and the Red Sea is about to be parted and the, the Pharaoh's army is coming and here is a pillar of fire, the, the pillar of cloud coming from the front and goes behind the people now in order to make a barrier between, the people, between Pharaoh's army and the people of Israel. This is what is known as a rear guard in ancient times, in military tactics. This pillar of fire acted as a protection for the people as they retreated through the Red Sea. And oftentimes, Scripture refers to God as our rear guard. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 12, For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. A rear guard, again, was a part of the, ar- the, the army, the, the, the forces of an army that protects the rear from any attack. Whenever the, the army is advancing or if the army had to withdraw, the, it was the rear guard who had to stay behind and protect, protect the withdrawal. Jesus is declaring himself as, again, the light of the world and that it was a foreshadow of the protection an allusion to the same protection that the pillar of fire gave to the people of Israel back in the Exodus story. What was, what, so you might ask, well, what is he protecting the people from? What kind of protection is the light of the world bringing to us? 
Well, Jesus mentions it in our passage, in our, in our verse. In verse 12, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is this darkness that Jesus is talking about here? What is this reference to? Well, if light, continuing that verse, but will have the light of life. If light is synonymous with life, then darkness is synonymous with death. And not just physical death, but the works of death, as Scripture calls it. Paul says in Ephesians, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's sin. That's, that's the, the evil works of man, the, the evil nature of man. That's sin. Remember the judgment against, against man that has already been declared in the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So, not as just, not just, so darkness is not just equal to, to death, but also to sin, but also the spiritual forces that instigate and perpetuate these things. The darkness of the world. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's talking about demons here. He's talking about the spiritual forces that reign over societies and cultures and mentalities, ideologies. Jesus coming into this world as its light was waging war against death, against sin, against the powers of darkness. And I love this because it's, and John talks about this right from the very beginning, right? The beginning of his gospel. Once again, John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that word because that word overcome is, is, is a term for war. It's a term for waging war. It's a term for fighting. Them, them, those are fighting words, as we would say. Darkness tries to prevail against the Savior, against the light of Christ, but it could not overcome him. And this is exactly the, 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 the same sentiment that the people of Israel felt when they crossed the Red Sea, when they saw the pillar of fire come down behind them and protect them from the forces of Pharaoh, and they crossed the Red Sea, and the Red Sea closed up on the armies of Pharaoh. At, at the end of all that, if you read Miriam's song, in Exodus, she declares that God is a man of war, a mighty man of war. That's exactly what Jesus is doing when he comes into this world and he, and he declares that he is the light of the world. He's declaring outright war against the forces of darkness, against death, against sin. All of it. And imagine those things, like three against one, and they couldn't beat him. Nor will they ever beat him. Because they have already been defeated, according to Scripture. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, oh, I love this passage. It says, and you, talking to believers here, who were dead, that's death, 
in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, that's sin, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, that's the devil and the, and the demons, all our enemies, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Only Christ, only in Christ do we see the defeat of the enemy. The great enemies of man, death, sin, and the devil. But not just defeat them, but completely disarm them. Meaning he's removed any tools that they have to use against those who are in Christ. And then put them to open shame. That idea is, is a parade. In, in ancient times, when a nation would conquer another nation, they would often take their kings captive and parade them through the capital streets to show the people that your king has been subjected, your king has been subdued, been conquered, been defeated, and there's a new power in control. This is the same sentiment that Paul is trying to communicate in this passage. Jesus put the devil, death, and sin to open shame for all to see that they have been conquered, that they have been publicly humiliated. Remember the Jews of Jesus' day, they wanted a conquering king, someone to overthrow the kingdom of Rome. But Jesus came and he overthrew the kingdom of darkness. Christ came as the light of the world to wage war against the darkness of the world, to offer us protection from the kingdoms of darkness, to be, again, that pillar of fire that stands in the gap, that stands in between the forces of evil and his people. And honestly, you know, when, when we think about the Christian walk and our journey and Oftentimes, we still struggle with sin. We still struggle in temptation, even though we are believers, even though we have been walking and pursuing Christ, and we still have those struggles with the flesh. Oftentimes, those, those, those struggles are, especially when you've been in it so long, those struggles are based on false pretenses. It's assuming that we are still slaves to sin. It's assuming that we are still subject to, to having to obey the, the, the pulls of the flesh. It's like this great story that, that many preachers have told before of this elephant that was seen in captivity. This great African elephant and its, its massive size is only tied down by a piece of rope and a small pike to the ground. You wonder why? Well, why is that the case? This elephant could just break through, break this rope, pull out the spike, and 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 run away free. Well, how is it that this elephant is 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 fully subdued just by this piece of rope and spike? Because when the elephant was young, its captors put a metal chain around its feet. And try as it may, when it was a baby, to, to wrench itself free from it, it could not, it would not. And so over time, this elephant would just be broken and stop the fight. 
And once the, once the elephant has stopped the fight, that's when the captors put on this rope and still assuming that it can no longer be, break free, it doesn't even try. See, I think with our, with our struggles with sin, that's often our mentality as well. We've been struggling with sin for so long. We've been struggling with the flesh for so long, with the same ideology, with the same mentality for so long, and you don't see freedom. We often think that there's no hope. It's going to be the same. It's going to be this way forever. I'm going to be stuck in this sin forever. Some of us are still living under the false shackles of Shame and guilt and fear and, again, sin and temptation. And we're bound still, still held by something that doesn't actually hold us down anymore because Christ has crucified it to the cross. Scripture is very clear, church. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom from sin. Freedom to do what is right and holy and righteous before God. Paul says, stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, you have no more captors, church, brothers and sisters. The strongholds fall at the name of Jesus Christ. King Jesus is the victor. He has loosed the chains. That you may walk in freedom, that you are, listen, you are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are restored. You are justified in his righteousness. You are free. This is not a future expectation or a future prospect for the believer. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. And if you are in Christ, you have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. Don't listen to the lie that that you're never going to change. That you're always going to be compelled to follow your sinful nature, your flesh. That's not what the Bible says. The doctrine of regeneration says that you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Holy Spirit has done a work in you where he has completely removed your stone heart and replaced it with a heart of flesh. He didn't just take that stone heart and then made it soft so that you could start doing different things. No, he completely removed that nature, those desires, those will, threw it in the trash and put a new heart in you so that you might will for his things, for his glory and his righteousness. You have a new nature in your church. A different will, different capacity because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because of what Jesus paid for on the cross of Calvary. Because he has won the war. Because he, has, he is the victor against death and sin and the enemy. You no longer have to give in to sin. You no longer have to choose sin. You are free in Christ. Oh, because Jesus came as the light of the world and waged war against the darkness and won. Lastly, Jesus as the light of the world is a following with purpose. 
of following with purpose. See, in addition to the pillar of fire declaring God's presence and the pillar of fire being a protection over his people in the wilderness, it was also used as a guide for the people. The people would only go where the pillar of fire went or the pillar of cloud went. The people would, would stop when the pillar stopped. And they would not move until it moved. The people were completely dependent and committed and trusted in the leading of this pillar of fire and cloud. And similarly, Jesus calls those who would believe in him, those who would follow him to the same commitment, same trust and belief. Again, our passage in verse 12, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus has said this phrase time and time again throughout the Gospels, come, follow me, follow me, deny yourself and follow me. In Luke chapter 9, 20, verse 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And this invitation in John chapter 8, it, it is, it, though it comes off gentle, the weight of that commitment is still there. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That, that, that pursuit, that commitment to follow still requires us to deny ourselves. To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, meaning a, a cross is, is a symbolism of suffering. To take it up daily and follow Jesus. It's because it's worded a little differently or more gently. It doesn't lessen the weight of that call to follow him. And so then how do we follow Christ? How, do we, how is it that we follow Christ? Well, he says right there, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. It's a matter of pursuing the light of Christ and not the things that are the darkness of this world. It's really the picture of repentance. Here is the darkness. Here is Jesus leading with his light. We're moving away from the darkness and following the light. That's the picture of repentance. You are going one way in sin, in death, in the guilt, in the consequences of your sin. Now you're turning the other way and following Jesus with your life. Similar to the pillar of fire and, and the pillar of cloud in the wilderness, wholly dependent, wholly committed to his leading. If he stops, then you stop. If he goes, then you go. You're not turning to the right hand or to the left. You're going wherever the Savior leads. Again, this, this is the commitment, that we're, that, uh, the invitation that Jesus is, is calling us to, to follow him. Repent from the works of darkness and follow his light. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul goes through this whole laundry list of what the works of darkness entails. Sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness, uh, all, everything that is improper to mention among the saints. Let there, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk even. Crude joking. Guys, who's guilty of that, right? 
Ephesians chapter 5 then says, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when, they, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We are to repent, we are to renounce the works of darkness, the unfruitful works of darkness, however they take shape in your personal life to expose them, to bring them to light. We are to repent from the works of darkness, but not only, not only repent, but if we want to follow Christ as he invites us to in, our, in, in this I am statement, we also have to live with a renewed purpose, a renewed reason of why we live, what we're pursuing in this life of why we were brought out of darkness and, and now following the Savior. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There, there it is, folks. That's our purpose now. Why we're called Christians. We are, called to, we are a people that is meant to be called out. A royal priesthood. Going about the ministries of God. Declaring his goodness, his excellencies. Proclaiming it to the lost. Bringing him worship and glory through our lives. That is the reason why we were pulled out of places of darkness. That is the reason why God broke you free from that addiction to pornography. That is the reason why God is giving you time out of your, the busyness of your week to bring you to his house. That is the reason why you are no longer who you were in the past. So that you can live a life of worship to him. It's not for yourself. Don't believe the, 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 the prosperity teachers out there where, where you know, God saved you for this so that you can have health and wealth and happiness in this world for yourself and live for yourself and your kingdom. That is false, a lie from the enemy. He saved you for his glory. He saved you for his name's sake so that you can declare his excellencies to the dark world. So that you can bring his light to the dark world. It's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. We now belong to God. We have been chosen by God. We have been made righteous by God himself. We have been saved by God himself so that we can be a people for his own possession. And Peter says that, right? Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I love that. Just in case you thought that you had contributed to your, anything to your salvation, that God saved you because, because of your credentials, your titles, how much you give, how, your, your, your church attendance because of maybe some decision that you would make down the, down the road in the future, says it right there that it's by his mercy that he chose you, that he, he called you, that he made you 
be, to be part of his people, his tribe. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You did not deserve anything from God. And this is the great picture of all of this, of Christ coming into this world as the light of this world. We did not deserve it. There's no reason for him to save us from darkness because it was in our darkness that we rebelled against him. Yet in his mercies, he calls a rebellious people his own. And again, this is not some future prospect. This is not some future hope that we have that we'll be free from sin, that we'll be called his people in the future or whatever it is. Even in a passage, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The question isn't whether or not, if you're in Christ, the question isn't whether or not you will have the light of life or that you'll be in Christ or that he will save you from sin, all of that stuff. Really, the question is, how much glory will you bring to him? with this life that he has blessed you with. This new life that he's given you. How much glory, how much of your life will declare the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness? That is the great trap of this world. Oftentimes, the great temptation for believers even is to, even in this life, to live for ourselves, for our families, for our career, for her bank account. And, and a lot of these things too are sometimes are, are good things, good endeavors to pursue in this life. But you have to understand, we have been saved, we have been redeemed for his glory and not our own. For his kingdom and not our own. The question isn't whether or not you will be saved. The question isn't whether or not you will follow him in Christ and or you will be free from darkness. The question is how much you will bring glory to him in this new life that you've been given, a new purpose that you've been given. So putting all of that together, Jesus is the light of the world, and he came to declare God's presence with us. That he is the light of God, is the presence of God who has returned to a fallen man. That he is... The, the, the rear guard, the one who protects us from the darkness, from death and sin and from the enemy. He is the one who stands guard, that he is the one who watches over his people, that will bring his people to the other side. Also, he is the one that we follow that gives us a new purpose in life, that gives us a new hope in life, freedom in life. Invitation for us, who, for everyone, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, is no longer walk in darkness. Walk in his light. Again, if you're, listen, if, if you're here this morning or you're hearing my voice and, and, and you know that the way that you have been living it's full of fear, full of sin, full of regret, full of shame. Know that Christ came to lead you out of that darkness. To bring light and hope 
to bring you a future and a purpose. To bring you eternal life, a relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, know that you no longer have to live in that, in that shame, the, the, the guilt of your past, the regrets of your sin. All of that, as we read this morning, has been nailed to the cross. The enemy has, himself has been disarmed of all their powers, of all their tools to use against the saint. You no longer have to live in regret, in the, in the shame of your sin, in the fear of death even. Because Jesus is our light. Because Jesus is the light of the world. Now where does this all lead up to? Just as we close. Jesus as the light of the world is, is one fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Yes, it's, we, we see that as we've read throughout today that Jesus does fulfill those things written by the prophets, but it's also for a future hope, a future glory. When Christ returns and he creates a new earth and a new heaven and he establishes his kingdom and his place with man. It says in Revelation 21, and I love this, and we'll close with this. This is what we look forward to. This is our great hope as believers in him. It says in verse 22, Revelation 21, verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. In verse, or chapter two, 22, verse 5, it says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That is our future hope. That is the glory we have and are promised to as those who are in Christ, who are those who are following his light from now into eternity. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for coming to a dark world, for coming to a sinful people, coming to rebellious people. A people who loved the darkness more than your light. Yet still showing us mercy and grace. Thank you, O oh Lord, that despite us not earning anything, despite us not giving you any reason to come, you still came with your light to redeem a people out of darkness. You still came with your light to defend a people from sin and death and the enemy. 
came and showed us that you are with us, that you are present through the storms, through the struggles, through our sins. We praise you and we thank you, oh God. And right now I want to pray, oh Lord, for the brother or sister who have been who have been struggling, oh God, in darkness, thinking that that is still their home, thinking that that is still their, that they're still enslaved to sin and the works of darkness. I pray, oh God, in Jesus' name, that you dispel any lies that they have believed, oh Lord that you remind them of in this moment that they are a new creation, that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come by the work of regeneration, by the work of the Holy Spirit. That God, that, that, that we no longer have to live in sin, that we no longer have to live under the, the, the yoke of slavery. that we can walk in freedom and in newness of life with a new will and a new nature able to desire after the things of God truly free thank you for being the light oh God that leads us into freedom Lord Forgive us, O oh God, for the many times that we have turned to other sources of light that pale in comparison to you. Other places, O oh God, that we think would satisfy, that we would think would comfort, that would think that, would, that we think we would get strength from. When in reality, they are just. empty cisterns, oh God, where we find no refreshment. Lord, I pray that you would turn the wandering heart towards you. That we would once again desire after your holiness, that we would desire after your righteousness, that we would follow you, that we would deny ourselves and take up our cross this day and every day and follow the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would hear your, your people's cry. Freedom would break out in this place. The newness of life changed lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ bear much fruit in your people's lives this day. In Jesus' your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.